the book of Proverbs. This evening, I'll be starting a short series in the book of Proverbs, and I've entitled it, subtitled it, sorry, Live, Live Life Wisely with Wisdom from Above. The book of Proverbs gives us spirit-inspired wisdom from God to teach us how to live our lives. God is concerned about the everyday, every little thing that comes our way in life. And so I'm going to take topics from the book of Proverbs, things like work, uh, things like uh, marriage, things like money, speech. I haven't ins- uh, decided the full uh, number of topics that we'll be able to look at. But before we go into those topics, it's important that we get our bearings. And so this evening we're going to be reading and looking at, focusing on the first seven verses of chapter one of Proverbs, which really are the introduction to the book. You can't understand the book of Proverbs without first starting here. And we're also going to read chapter nine as well. Uh, The first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are very different from the rest. Really, those first nine chapters prepare the way for those little short sayings uh, that we know and love and probably have memorized some of them. Um, But chapter nine is really the bookend to chapter one, uh, and we'll read it as well. So let's start by reading from Proverbs chapter one. The Proverbs of Solomon. Son of David, King of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand the proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then turn with me to Proverbs chapter nine, where wisdom is imagined as a woman And wisdom's opposite, folly, is imagined as a woman. And both are calling. Who are you going to listen to? Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn him here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insights. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. 
She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the word of God. Let's just pray before we come to consider these words. Father, we thank you again that you are the all-wise God. We thank you that your words are full of wisdom. Your words are wonderful, O Lord. Help us now as we consider them, to meditate on them as we've just sung, Lord. We ask you to speak, to test our thoughts and our attitudes, to give us the humble spirit that is the fear of the Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why do we need the book of Proverbs in our Bibles? If it's there, and it is, and it's given by God and his wisdom, and it is, well, we need to ask, why do we need it? What's it for? The short answer is that we need wisdom. We need wisdom. Verse 2 in chapter 1 announces that this is the overall theme of the book, to know wisdom. We need wisdom. This is a book about how to live wisely in God's world. The word for wisdom in Hebrew implies skill, being skillful at something. It can actually be used for anything, being skillful at anything. But Proverbs directs the idea of skill towards just living your life in the world. We have all of us different jobs, different circumstances, different personalities, different giftings, different proclivities, but we ultimately all live in God's world. No one can escape that. And so we need to learn to live skillfully in his world. That's why we have the book of Proverbs. And in God's wisdom, he knows that we need to receive wisdom in different ways. We need to receive wisdom the way it's given in the book of Proverbs, which is a rather different book from many other books in the Bible. One writer says that the wisdom books of the Bible, that's Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, it's as if God speaks to us in a different tone of voice than he does from other books of the Bible. And so consider the law or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Their tone of voice is different. It sounds like thou shalt and thou shalt not. And we need that. We need clear-cut commands and prohibitions. And in the prophets, well, they're different again. The prophets or in the New Testament, the apostles. It's thus saith the Lord. Because God knows that we need news. We need to hear the story of his judgment and his salvation, whether it's past, present, or future. And God's wisdom is on display through the law and through the prophets. But God knows that we also need to hear wisdom in a different tone of voice. We need the priest, the law, we need the prophet, prophecy, but we also need the sage. We need the words 
of the wise. And so in the book of Job, that sounds like the cry of an innocent sufferer. How do I live wisely with pain? How do I deal with suffering? Or in the book of Ecclesiastes, it sounds like the perspective of an aged man who's seen it all. And he asks, what really matters in life when you boil it all down? And then in the book of Proverbs, well, it sounds like a father speaking with his son, no pleading with his son, that in his everyday decisions, that he would listen to the voice of wisdom and that he would choose life over death. The book of Proverbs answers the need that we have. How do I live well? And before we continue, we need to ask what exactly is a proverb? What is a proverb? Well, we tend to think of proverbs as the short sayings that come in mainly in chapters 10 onwards to the end of the book. There are some in the first nine chapters as well, those short sayings. And we can maybe think of modern English Proverbs as well that are like that. Here's one from the book of Proverbs, chapter 18. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. We've all met someone like that, haven't we? Most of us meet that person when we look in the mirror in the morning. Proverbs are meant to be short and memorable. They're meant to be often cutting and provocative. They're meant to get under our skin and cause us to reflect on the way that we're living and to choose a wise way of living rather than a foolish way of living. But the words of the wise, as verse 6 puts it, it's not just these short sayings that appear in the book, it's also all of the forms of speech that appear in the book of Proverbs that we'll come to see. We, we have poems, we have fatherly lectures, we have little parables and, and sayings. And of course, these aren't confined to the book of Proverbs either. We see these kinds of speech right throughout the Bible. We, we even see them in the way that Jesus liked to teach people through parables, some of them very, very short. And these proverbs and so on, they, they speak to all aspects of life. That's why the book of Proverbs is so loved, isn't it? We find Lady Wisdom, who we were reading about in chapter nine, but she appears elsewhere. And we find her calling out to people in the home, in the marketplace, in the courthouse and in the palace. Everywhere you go, she's calling out to say, come and hear what I have to say. And from chapter 10 onwards, it's as if she's speaking through those little sayings. And she's something to say about everything from alcohol and anger to wealth and work. Have you ever wondered though, whenever you get to that part of the book, why the Proverbs are not very neatly arranged. If you or I were arranging the book of Proverbs, we would maybe have a chapter on work and a chapter on marriage and a chapter on friendship, but they they seem to be in a random swirl. They bounce from one to another to another and then back again. Well, it's probably because life's like that, isn't it? We don't get to, to choose 
when certain issues are going to hit us in the day. They simply come at us thick and fast and in no pattern that we would certainly put in place. Whenever you get up in the morning, you don't just get to go to work, do your job and then come home and switch off. No, you made a thousand different decisions on the way that you never thought you were going to meet. Before you've even made it down to the breakfast table, you've had to address your anger because your children did not behave in the way you would have liked them to or because your spouse said something that kind of got under your skin. As you drive to work, there's a new billboard, a provocative billboard. What are you going to do with your eyes and your thoughts for the rest of the month as you drive past it? And whenever it's coffee break, well, the banter is clearly out of line today. So what do you do? Do you just stay quiet? Do you challenge it? Do you get up and walk out? Do you use it as an opportunity to share the gospel or so many decisions? Or the school gate gossip has started up about the teacher who's supposedly having an affair. And you want to agree with those who are disapproving of such a thing. But then you remember, fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip starts, stops. Life's complicated. It's not easy to always choose the right decision. And the issues, as I said, they hit us thick and fast and seemingly at random. And so we're faced with the need for wisdom all throughout the day, all throughout the week. And we need the voice of God's Spirit speaking through the sage. And so my prayer is, is, as we look at these topics through sermons and as I arrange them topically, that ultimately you would read the book of Proverbs, which is not arranged topically, but in God's wisdom, gives us this seemingly random swirl of Proverbs that address all of the different things that we're going to face in our day and in our life. But the question then that follows this, we've established the need for wisdom, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that. We need to ask, where do we look for wisdom? Because I'm sure you'll agree that we learn and hear many wise things, not just from Christian sources, but from non-Christian sources, we find ourselves nodding and agreeing with that wise friend or that uh, wise column writer in a particular newspaper who has insight into the way the world is going. Where does wisdom come from? We need to look at the source of wisdom. Now, there are three answers to the question, where does wisdom come from? You can boil it down to three. And hopefully we'll see that even as we look at those three areas, well, really they all lead us back to the same source, the ultimate source of wisdom, which is God. First of all, there is wisdom in the world. There is wisdom in the world. This world that we live in is an ordered world, isn't it? We've been singing about that. Creation sings the Father's Song and, and Proverbs recognizes this. Proverbs 3.19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the earth. And by simply observing the world and the way things work, 
well, we learn how things work and we learn how things don't work as well. And because the world is a fallen world and because life's complicated and because people make bad decisions and because people sin, we also learn as we observe not just nature but human nature. What happens when we follow the path of folly? We simply need to watch the world and we can learn wisdom that way. And we're told in the Bible that that's how Solomon learned wisdom. The author of Proverbs says, verse 1 of chapter 1, is Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And 1 Kings 4 says this, that Solomon spoke of trees. From the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall, he spoke of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. Solomon wasn't just stuffing his head full of knowledge about the world that he lived in. No, he was carefully watching, observing, willing to learn from God's good, ordered world and the sinful people that lived in it. And it's because of that that Solomon was able to say things like this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. He had observed that as a general principle, those who work hard like the ants that Solomon had watched one day, well, they'll have enough even in winter. And those who don't work like ants will often starve. The world teaches us wisdom, but the reason for that is because it's founded on God's wisdom. It's not an accident. And so the wisdom that is in the world leads us back to the source. It leads us to God. Now, secondly, it should come as no surprise that because there's wisdom in the world, that that gives rise to the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the nations. I'm not just talking about Israel here, I'm talking about the wisdom that crops up in every nation around the world. Israel wasn't the only nation with a book like the book of Proverbs. In fact, when you compare some of the Proverbs to earlier Proverbs that were written by Egyptian sages, it seems that Solomon has taken them almost word for word and he's placed them in his collection of wisdom sayings. Now, I wonder, does that bother you a little bit? I can understand why. It doesn't quite seem right at first. But we shouldn't be surprised. And we shouldn't even be concerned. Because, as the early church father Augustine said, all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. And if we believe that we live in an ordered world and that the heavens declare the glory of God, if we believe what Romans 1 teaches about what all people should be able to observe and see from looking at the world, then we shouldn't be surprised when people made in God's image make wise observations and make wise sayings. 1 Kings 4 again says that Solomon's wisdom surpassed all the wisdom of Egypt. Now, for that to be a compliment to Solomon, that has to mean that there were some pretty wise sages in Egypt. Now, why am I saying this? Well, don't be surprised when you find true, wise, 
beautifully expressed ideas from people in the world who are not believers, scientists, master observers of the world. Therapists and counselors can be master observers of people and human nature. And don't be intimidated by this either. This is God's world, and any true thing that they discover is God's truth. It points to the fact that there's a wise creator behind everything in life. Now, that said, and this is important, there's a limit to the wisdom of the world, a serious limit, because we're all sinners, and we live in a fallen world And so the wisdom of the world is flawed. Scientists and counselors and philosophers, they may be masterful in their observations, but they don't always interpret things the right way. They come to the wrong conclusions. And people might prescribe the right behavior in a counseling session, but they might give the wrong motivations for it. Law-based, as we were reading about in Romans 2. So there's wisdom in the world and there's the wisdom of the world. But ultimately, if we want to be wise, we need to pass all of that through the filter of God's word, God's revealed wisdom. And that leads us thirdly to the wisdom of the word. What I've just been talking about is is what's called natural revelation in theology. God reveals many things to all people through nature. Not through his words, but through nature. And the Bible clearly teaches that. But we need a different kind of revelation because of the the warped vision of our sinful eyes. We need special revelation. We need God to speak to us with words. And so let's look here at verse one again. Like I've said, The Proverbs, according to verse 1, were written by Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And the most important fact about Solomon's wisdom is not that he observed the world, but it's to ask where did his wisdom come from. And 1 Kings 4 tells us very clearly, God gave Solomon wisdom. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And so through human servants like like Solomon and like all of the other biblical writers who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, God speaks to us and gives us wisdom from above. We need God's word to, to constantly correct what the world is saying or what we're saying or thinking up here to conform our behavior to his standards because we're frail, as we sang about in our first hymn. We're frail, and so we err with the truth. We make mistakes. We're also sinners, and so, as Romans 1 teaches us, we suppress the truth. What's clearly observable, we ignore so we can live how we place in our sin. We're frail, and we're fallen, and we're also finite There's only so much you can see by looking out there. When it comes to God's plan of salvation, we need him to speak. We need him to announce what he's going to do. And what he's going to do is often surprising 
counterintuitive. It goes against the wisdom of the world. It's what Paul calls the wisdom of the cross, which is foolishness to the world. That's why we need the wisdom of God's word. It's why we need the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, because it's not just any old ancient collection of wise sayings. It's wise sayings spoken by sages who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It comes from God. The question is, are you willing to listen to God's wisdom as he counsels you and corrects you, as he corrects your understanding of how to use your money, as he counsels you on how to make friends and how to treat them, as he explains to you why sin is not only wrong, but it's folly, it's such a foolish choice, will you be willing to take your cherished, settled position on a certain ethical issue or doctrinal issue or political issue and hold it up to the light of God's word and have God change your mind because he's wise We are not. Now, this leads us on to another important matter because if we're going to listen to Proverbs, well, we have to recognize our need for wisdom. We've thought about that. Yes, we have to know the source of wisdom, which is God, but we also have to understand the purpose of wisdom, the purpose of the wisdom that we find in this book of Proverbs. And that's where we need to spend some time in verses 2 to 6. So have your Bible open in front of you. 2 to 6. In these verses, if you look, you'll notice that there are a lot of different nouns, a lot of different words used in the place of the word wisdom. In verse 2, Solomon announces that this book is about knowing wisdom, but he also calls it understanding, insight, instruction, Wise dealing, prudence, knowledge, learning, guidance. And so through poetry, Solomon's building up a picture of what wisdom is like. This is what wisdom is like, he's saying. But then there's also a lot of verbs, doing words, in relation to those nouns. And so there's to know, to understand, to give, to receive, to hear. And so he's talking about the process of attaining wisdom. But perhaps the most important word is the smallest word, and it's repeated the most number of times. It's the word to, and it appears at the start of almost every verse from verse two to six, or four in the NIV, to know wisdom, to understand words of insight. His focus is on the purpose of wisdom. This is what it's for, he's saying. And it's an important question for us to answer what's wisdom for and to carry it with us as we go to look at those topics like money and speech and so on. And so because this is poetry, there's no easy way to do it. And for me to arrange it nicely into some sermon points would actually spoil the poetry. And so we're going to go through these verses just one by one quickly, don't worry. And we're going to work towards a purpose statement. What is wisdom for? So look at verse two with me. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. 
to know. To know isn't just to know facts and stick them up there somewhere for later. No, to know is more like the way you would know a friend or a spouse. It's to to know deeply and internally. And, And then in the second line of verse two, instead of the word know is the word understand. That's the same word that's used in 1 Kings about Solomon. He was able to understand, which meant he was able to weigh matters up and to decide what's right, what's wrong in this situation, what's the best course of action. But the most important word here in verse 2 is instruction. To know wisdom and instruction points to discipline points to the the need, the acceptance that I need to be instructed, I need to be corrected, I need to sit at the feet of the master. I need to be like the son who sits at the feet of his father in chapters one to nine. And so this first, or verse two, sorry, speaks about an attitude that's required to live wisely. If we're gonna live wisely, we need to be humble. Wisdom is for the humble. So whether you're a beginner, verse four, the simple or the youth, or whether you're well advanced on the path of wisdom, the wise in verse five, we need humility to be wise. We need simple childlike faith. And we're going to come back to that idea. That's the first thing that Solomon wants to say. Wisdom is for the humble. Now verse three, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now that phrase, wise dealing, it's, it's actually, it points to a kind of cunning. To be streetwise and to be savvy, to be smart, to have your head screwed on. Now that kind of skill for life could be used for evil or good, couldn't it? There are many business owners who have wise dealing, but they don't always use it for the most righteous gain. But that's why the second part of this verse is so important. It's not just wise dealing for any old issue. It's wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. So we take those two lines together. What's Solomon talking about? He's talking about a motivation for wisdom. Wisdom is for the humble servant. It's not for the person who uses street smarts to serve themselves and get themselves ahead. It's for the person who wishes to be righteous and just and equitable. In other words, to be a true Israelite, to serve his fellow Israelites. For us today, to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ and to love our neighbor. That's the motivation of wisdom. It's for the humble servant. Now, verses four to six, I've already mentioned that there are two audiences here of wisdom. There's the simple, which is not an insult. It really just means a novice, a beginner. There's the youth. There are those at the beginning of wisdom's path. And there's also the wise in verse five, the person who's, who's been on the road for a while. But in both cases, notice that they still need to receive help. They need help from God to live skillfully. They need wisdom. 
And wisdom gives them exactly what they need at the stage of life that they're at. The, the, uh, pr- sorry, the simple needs prudence. They might be naive. They need to get their heads screwed on. They need to get their eyes switched on and realize that people are out to get them. The idealistic youth, well, what does he need? He needs discretion. That means he needs to learn how to to knuckle down and to be resourceful and to have a kind of groundedness when he might be tempted to have his head in the clouds. And then there's the, the wise. What do the wise get? Well, verse 5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. They've got learning. They've got wisdom to a certain extent. They need to increase. But the point is this, that whatever stage they're at, they're receiving help from God for where they're at. In other words, wisdom gives help to those who will receive it. Whatever their circumstances, whatever their situation in life, God's wisdom will always give them the help that they need. And so we could say, the humble servant receives help. Now, let's put all of that together. These verses 2 through to 6. What we see is that God's wisdom is the ultimate treasure store of counsel, instruction, and direction for life. It's the gift that keeps on giving to you. You'll never exhaust the riches of God's word. He's given you more than enough wisdom to walk through this life in his good but broken world. Why do we need wisdom that comes from God? Well, we might put it like this. The humble servant receives help to mine the treasures of God's wisdom for life. That's why Solomon uses so many different words for wisdom. It's like a diamond that he holds in his hand and he's turning it round and there's so many facets. You'll never reach the bottom of the treasure chest. The humble servant receives help to mine the treasures of God's wisdom for life. So whatever you're facing, whatever issues you're struggling with this evening, with finances or children or relationships with difficult people at work or maybe in the same house as you or your marriage, whatever it is, let the wise hear, says Solomon. God's got enough wisdom and far more for whatever you're facing. The question is, are you humble enough to listen and to learn from him? And that attitude of humility, well, that's the key to this whole passage and indeed to this whole book. It's another way of describing faith, faith in God, childlike trust acknowledging that he's wise and I'm not, and he has what I need, I'm the needy one. And that brings us to the final verse and to our final point, the foundation of wisdom. How you related to your teachers in school was pretty important for how well you learned, wasn't it? 
or maybe still is if you're in that situation. For better or worse, I can think of classes in school that I dropped, not because I wasn't interested in the subject, but because of the teaching or the teacher, maybe I should say. Relationships are at the core of learning, aren't they? And so that's what we learn in verse 7. And it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the key verse to the whole book. One writer says it's the motto of the book. It appears several times in the book of Proverbs, notably here at the beginning and also in the final chapter of the first section, chapters one to nine. We read it in chapter nine as well. And it's worth reading that version of the verse in chapter nine again as well. So you might want to turn to chapter nine, verse 10, or, or read it up here on the wall. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, which is slightly different from what we have in chapter one. And we'll come across this in in coming weeks, but Hebrew poetry, well, you'll see that normally for each verse, you've got two lines. Now, rather than rhyming in words or sounds like we do in English or in rhythms, Hebrew poetry rhymes in ideas. So the second line expresses the first line in a different way, or sometimes it contrasts it. But here, it's expressing the first line in a different way. And that's actually really important because that helps us understand what the fear of the Lord is, because it's expressed in different words. Let me show you. Wisdom is paralleled with insight. They're clearly the same thing. Wisdom and insight, they're slightly different ways of saying the same thing. The Lord is obviously the Holy One. It's a different name for God. And the fear of the Lord is the knowledge of him. Now, there's a lot of different things you could say about the fear of the Lord, but this is key. It's about knowing him. Remember what I said about knowing? It's not just about knowing content. It's about deeply knowing someone. Like the Lord knew Israel. He loved them. He was in a relationship with them. And so at the core of this verse is a relationship. At the core of being able to receive wisdom is how you relate to God, the God of wisdom. So how should we relate to God? Well, in the first place, it must surely involve a kind of trembling before a holy God, knowing that he is the holy one and we're not, that he's wise and we're not, that he's righteous and we're not. We lack justice and righteousness and equity, as verse 3 says. And as we'll see as we read through the book, the, the Lord is described as a holy judge who sees our folly and our sin. So fear involves a kind of reverent trembling before God. But, but if that's all it was, well, it would soon turn into terror, wouldn't it? We would flee from God. We wouldn't sit at his feet to learn from him. But that's not the whole picture. Because God is a gracious God, isn't he? 
We see that in the book of Proverbs. But we see the climax of that grace in God sending his own son, Jesus, to rescue us from the folly of our sin. And because of him, says Paul, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Did you hear that? Paul's speaking to Christians there. He says, you're in Christ Jesus. You're united to him. If you've come to him by faith, and so his wisdom is your wisdom. His righteousness is your righteousness. That's how we're saved. But not only that, that's how we're sanctified. That's how we grow in our holiness. And so the same spirit of wisdom that was in the Lord Jesus, as Isaiah put it, it's the same spirit that is in those of us who fear the Lord. You've come to him in faith to put our trust in him. To fear God then is to approach him in the only way that he deems acceptable. It means to reverently repent of your sin and to humbly put your trust in his means of salvation, the man of salvation, the Lord Jesus. As we live the Christian life, we never leave this principle behind. When Solomon says it's the beginning of wisdom, he doesn't mean it's the door you go through and then soon leave behind in the dust as you walk along life's path. No, it's the foundation. It's the very foundation of the path of wisdom, which would otherwise crumble. As we examine the wisdom of Proverbs and we think about wealth and words, speech, sex, and a hundred different topics, we can never leave Jesus out of the equation because it's only by faith in him that we're in part to be wise. The book of Proverbs is not a self-help book. It's not something you'd find on the shelf in Waterstones or something like that that anyone could pick up and just use to live a better life. No, they could. They could learn from the book of Proverbs about work and laziness. And they could receive some blessing from that. No doubt. But to take, to take the book of Proverbs and use it like that would be like to have a finely crafted bow and a straight, sharp arrow, but to always miss the target. That's not the point of the book of Proverbs. To live wisely in this world, we must submit to the wisdom of the cross. We must follow the Christ of the cross. And as we learn about all of those different topics, we must always and ever come to him and ask him for help and empowerment for wise living. Is that not what James says? Does anyone lack wisdom? Ask him for help. Proverbs 1.7 leaves us with a choice. Fear God or be a fool who despises wisdom. Chapter 9 does the same. You can either follow Lady Wisdom or you can follow Lady Folly. And in, and in her house, the dead are there. 
So make the right choice, says Solomon. Make the right choice, says Solomon's Savior. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Amen. Let's sing our final piece.